What is Tom Cruise actually afraid of? Do you think anything? Failure. Mm, that's deep. Leaving the Scientology church. <laughs> that's actually probably accurate. <laughs> yeah. That's his biggest fear is that somehow he'll be forced to leave because too much will come out about it. The public finding out everything he's done with the Church of Scientology. Ooh. The dream. The dream. Um, Katie Holmes, maybe? <laughs> Child support payments. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Arnie's. We're three spies that would take a little too long to get rid of our message before it self-destructed, resulting in our immediate deaths. I'm Matt Johnson, and after seeing this movie, I never want to look at or hear the word key again in my entire life. I'm Keith Baker, and I want to see how many times we can say the word entity in this episode. And I'm Austin Terry, and impossible mission force is a little on the nose for my taste. On today's show, of course, we're talking about another long-delayed Tom Cruise COVID-era film. Last year, we finally got Top Gun Maverick, and despite beginning filming in September of 2020, almost three years later, we finally have Mission Impossible 7, a.k.a. Dead Reckoning Part 1. Let's get into it. Austin and Keith, I want to know, what were your expectations going in, as well as your non-spoiler thoughts on Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1? And hey, just for fun, since, you know, we've been doing this podcast for a few years now, we haven't actually talked about Mission Impossible. We haven't talked about an entry on this show since we've started. So also maybe give us a little primer. Like, what do you think about this franchise? Yeah, the Mission Impossible franchise is a weird one for me because this is one that I actually have seen every movie of, unlike Indiana Jones, where I thought I had. And it's one where I've seen every movie. I know I like every movie. But for whatever reason, this is one of the most forgettable franchises for me. Like, of course, I remember some of the stunts and I I know each one is good, maybe with the exception of two. But overall, I mean, I'm always excited when a new one comes out, but I always struggle to remember like, okay, who's the characters? When did his wife die? Like all that little stuff. It's always I feel like there's always such a big delay um, in like the release of these films that it's always hard to remember the story. But every time I see it, I, I always leave the theater excited and then. I, I'm kind of just left with, oh, I liked all those really cool stunts. Um, so that's what I was expecting going into this one. I was expecting to like it. I was expecting to find the action top notch. And that's exactly what I got. It's a blast in theaters. It's just a good time at the movies. Um, the stunts are great. The action's great. The story is very intriguing, very timely. Um, all of our returning characters are, give the same performance you would expect. And they're just as good in those roles as they've ever been. And then some of our newcomers like Haley Atwell are great and really kind of add a new envelope to the story. So I had a blast with this one in theaters, and I can't wait for part two now. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, I started off loving this franchise from whenever my dad first showed it to me as a kid. You know, number one, number two. I remember, yeah, remember not liking number two as much, and I haven't. I don't think I've seen it since then. Uh, but I always loved one and three, and then whenever Ghost Protocol came around, that was to me. It felt like a whole like reboot of the entire franchise. Like as far as like action, they took that to a new level. They're, they were bringing more characters in. They were bringing some old characters back. The whole franchise has just always been fun. Anytime a new movie's coming out, I already know I'm going to, I'm going to love the action. If, if, if I don't love the story, maybe there's some character problems, whatever, but you know, the action's always going to be there. Um, in the, in these movies going into this one, I really didn't know what they're going to do with the story, um, at all. So, Glad to see that we kind of have a like a new villain and a new evil uh, coming in to threaten the IMF and all that. So um, yeah, I, I'm like you, Austin. This one was really fun in theaters. It was a, I thought it was maybe a little tad too long. 
Uh, I think they probably could have cut a few scenes, um, but that's kind of my only nitpick. Um, but other than that, yeah, the new characters they brought in and some of the old ones that they they had were all still fun. Um, I may have a couple nitpickies here and there that we'll talk about later, but overall, had a blast. It's Mission Impossible. Can't wait for the uh, part two to come out. Yeah, this one's going to be an interesting conversation for me. I definitely had a really good time watching this one in theaters. Um, I feel like it's kind of hard not to, even with Mission Impossible 2, which I think is the only one that's genuinely bad. I still think there's some (laughs) dumb fun (laughs) to be had there. Um, But I love this franchise. Um, But I I hear both sides of it. I'm a big fan. Uh, You know, I love like the gritty kind of spy nature of the original Two, Like I said, it was like a dumb, fun action movie. Three, when they brought J.J. Abrams in to kind of retool it, I thought they did a great job. And then, like Keith said, uh, four, which I guess was Ghost Protocol and on, I think they've started to feel a little bit samey, not in a bad way. Uh, I think they feel that's kind of like the modern era of Mission Impossible, and they've been trying to up the ante every single time. But I also hear Austin's point where I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just kind of like action franchises in general. It's like a lot of the time whenever I'm describing Mission Impossible, I go... One is the spy one, two has weird motorcycle chase, three is Philip Seymour Hoffman, four is building climb, five is Tom Cruise hold breath underwater and holds onto plane, six is helicopter. Um, so it's like you just kind of have to like, like pick one thing which like forces you to remember, but I totally hear your point. It's like it is kind of hard to remember what actually happens in each one. They definitely have their formula, right? Yeah. Where it's like, okay, big action scene, cue the theme song get Tom Cruise to do something crazy and you've got a hit. Right. So I guess my opening question, which I'll use to lead into my non-spoiler thoughts is, you know, I kind of used all of those descriptors to describe the previous ones. What would you guys, what's like the one thing that you would use to describe this one? I would say the train. Like, I think, I kind of think that uh, overshadows the big motorcycle stunt. I agree. I was like, probably the train. That kind of leads into my thoughts. I'm definitely lower on this one than it sounds like you guys are. Like I said, I still had a great time in the theater. It's hard not to with movies like this. But I do think this is easily my second least favorite Mission Impossible movie. Like I said, two's genuinely bad. Uh, this one isn't bad, but it is my least favorite. I think the reasoning is, when looking at like the last several entries, I th- like going back to three specifically, I think they've really tried to do a great job of putting in great action sequences, having some compelling villains, having an actual like bigger team built around Tom Cruise and all of those movies, and you know trying to like do something different with the story every time and up the ante. I think like whenever Fallout came out, everybody was talking about holy shit, like he held on to a fucking plane as it took off in the last one. In this one, he's actually piloting a helicopter. And like leaving the helicopter at points to dangle from something that is like hanging onto the helicopter while having a gunfight with Henry Cavill, who's in a different helicopter. This one didn't really up the ante. The motor, like I said, the motorcycle stunt is cool looking, but at the end of the day, he just rides one off a cliff and then opens a parachute. The train stuff is fun, but it didn't stand out to me too much. It, I didn't like the way the team was used in this movie. I think it's the weakest use of the team in a long time. It sounds like Austin really enjoyed. Um, the story is being a bit more relevant with some of the AI stuff. I like some of it, but I think I disliked more than I liked. And I do, unfortunately, think this is one of our weaker villains that we've had in the last several entries, despite the fact that I love Isai Morales as an actor. I think he does a good job, but I just didn't really give a shit about the character. And there's some very spoilery, weird stuff with the character. They tried to do... <laughs> it's like... Oh, God, that guy's from my past. But then they don't really acknowledge that. He just also coincidentally happens to be running this entity organization that they're after. So 
there's a lot of weirdness in the movie. And to cap off my non-spoiler thoughts, um, unlike you guys, I was more excited for Dead Reckoning Part 2 before I saw Part 1. The idea of doing a Mission Impossible, like a bigger story that had to be told over two parts, was really cool. But after the way this one played out, I'm kind of like, I'll see it, of course. But I'm actually not as excited after seeing how this one ended. So I'm definitely lower on it. But of course, if you're going to see it, you got to see it in the theater because there's still some crazy awesome stuff to behold here. It's a good movie. I just didn't love it. Yeah, I think for me, I just I can't remember enough about the other ones to actually say where this would fall in my Mission Impossible ranking. Um, I do agree with you about the villain Gabriel specifically. It was tough for me to be like, where am I supposed to know this guy from? I couldn't remember if we'd ever seen him before. We haven't, which is also a weird thing. We've never seen him before. Yeah, they do the weird like retcon past thing where they try to introduce that and it didn't feel very important. I did really enjoy the AI stuff, though. That actually really hit for me. Um, and we'll talk about that more. Um, and then the stunts. I, I agree that like him riding a motorcycle off a cliff isn't as impressive as hanging off a plane. I do think, though, if we find out that a good portion of like the train stunt was real, maybe that does up yeah. the ante because they are doing crazy stuff in that one, too. I was so. wondering about that. Yeah, I was like, how much of yeah. this is real? It's hard, kind of hard to tell for once. Usually it's easy to tell with these movies, but that one I was like, I couldn't fully tell. It looked good. I mean, it looked great, though. Yeah, and that is kind of our big finale. And then like where they left it to go into part two, I'm excited to see how the team comes back into the fold in part two. Yeah, I'm too. I think, I think I'm kind of with you, though, Matthew. Um... Like I said, I, I think about this franchise in two different halves. One in th- one through three is the first half, and then going to uh, Ghost Protocol through now is the second half. So I would say this one's definitely the weakest for me in the second half. But like what you said, Austin, I am excited for part two because of uh, maybe like the lack of what we did get in this one. I think we're going to get in part two. The whole entity thing um, and the AI, I, I'm with you, Austin. I think it is interesting, and I think... It's definitely going to uh, develop more later on. I wish it was explained a little bit better in this one. I think it was kind of rushed, and there was a lot of choppiness for me, at least, in the way they explained how it works and all that. But anyway, overall, still had a great time. So, Yeah, and the last thing that uh, we can say before going on here is, for me at least, I'm starting to recognize it as probably, unfortunately, more of a troubling trend than opposed to something that's kind of cool when it comes to part one's of things that are being marketed as a part one, like as it's coming out, like we know going in, I'm starting to dislike more of those things than I actually like. I love Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Great movie. Least favorite part about it is it doesn't feel complete because we knew going in that there's a part two coming soon. A lot of like the Netflix shows I've been noticing are now like not releasing full seasons. It's like, here's part one and then part two, we're going to rebuild the hype. But then it's like part one ends and I'm not satisfied because you didn't tell a complete story there. I kind of felt the same here. I'm glad you guys liked it more than um, I did. But by the end, I was like, huh, I feel like there could have been a better way to make this make this part one feel complete while also setting up a part two. So I'm just kind of nervous going forward about like the whole part one, part two movies and TV shows in general, I think. I think the part one and part two stuff, as much as I am not liking it, I think it makes sense if you're a streaming service because you yeah. do want to double dip and get that big boost and yeah. you can market stuff longer and have a reason for people to keep paying for their subscribers. I think it's risky for a studio because if you're just going to do a part one and part two in theaters, you at least have a year gap in your story and you're banking on audiences and remembering that story. Um, I will say, though, as maybe a counterpoint, I remember the first time the trailer got released and I was in a theater and when that part one came up at the end of the trailer, people audibly gasped in the theater. Mm-hmm. So there, I think there is a lot of buzz about a sequel to a Mission Impossible movie. Agreed. And I'm in the minority on this one. So, I, yeah. 
with that, I think uh, it is time, everybody, to drop the spoiler warning. When it comes to, like, action movies and comedies, whenever we review those, we kind of always say the whole thing of, like, all right, you know, here's the spoiler warning, but, you know, just stick around because what can we really spoil? There's big booms in a theme song. Right. I would say in this case, if you haven't seen Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, I would say you should go see it. Uh, Obviously, it's a theater experience, but there is a lot of interesting story stuff and a lot of things that I would not want to spoil for you if you haven't seen it. So this is one of those, I guess, rare movies of this genre where I would say go see it and then come on back and listen to the rest of our episode because there is a lot to talk about here. All right, everybody, welcome to Spoiler Territory. As always, before we get to the good stuff, Austin and Keith, let's talk through some cast and crew stuff. All right, so Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 is directed by Christopher McQuarrie, who you may know from The Usual Suspects, Jack Reacher, Edge of Tomorrow, Top Gun Maverick, and Mission Impossible 5 and 6. The film is written by McQuarrie and Eric Jedrison, and our score for the film is composed by Lauren Balfi, along with Lalo Scriffin's Mission Impossible theme. All right, and going into our cast, we have Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt, Ving Rhames as Luther, Simon Pegg as Benji, Rebecca Ferguson as Ilsa Faust, Haley Atwell as Grace, Vanessa Kirby as White Widow, Isaiah Morales as Gabriel, Pom Clementiev as Paris, Shay Wiggum as Briggs, Greg Tarzan Davis as Degas, Carrie Elwes as Dinlinger, and we got Henry Zerny returning as Kitridge for the first time since 1996's original Mission Impossible. All right, guys, there's our cast and crew. Any positives, any negatives, what do we got? Yeah, I mentioned her at the top. Um, I'm going to give my standout to Haley Atwell as Grace. Uh, I just love Haley Atwell in general, but it was awesome to see her join the team. I thought her and Tom Cruise had insane chemistry in this movie. Um, I also liked her coming in like kind of as an outsider to this world. Like, yes, she is a thief, but she's not used to the stakes and the killing and the death that these missions bring so it was cool to kind of see um, like a newcomer come in because when Rebecca Ferguson joined the team I love her character too but she already was like an assassin and was part of this world so it was cool to have someone come in with a new perspective so really enjoyed Haley Atwell in this role. Yeah just my sister was telling me that she went to go see it with some friends and then somebody in their theater was like as soon as they killed off Rebecca Ferguson's character, Ilsa, someone was like, well, they're just replacing the old lady with the young lady, huh? That's how I felt. I don't I don't think it was done very well. It does feel like a sub in, sub out, because like Ilsa dies and then immediately just, hey, you want to join the team? So they, <laughs> just, they felt like they traded that one Burnett for another Burnett. Yeah, you can't have two females on your spy team. Yeah, right. <laughs> God forbid we kill Luther or Benji. The characters that have not had an arc ever in these movies. (laughs) You need Luther to look in the mirror and tip his hat. You need Luther once per movie to give his best friend Ethan like some sage advice where he's like, you can't kill Gabriel out of vengeance. And then you can't kill Benji because he has to crack jokes a couple times. So, Or in the first three movies, you need Luther to go, this seems pretty difficult, huh? And then you need Tom Cruise to go, no, it's impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I thought everybody played you know pretty decent parts i don't really have any negatives i think i'm i think i will shout out two negatives though as far as characters go and we already said them and that's benji and luther i love benji and luther i've loved them from all the other movies that they've been in i just felt like they weren't used in a uh, good way in this movie as much as they could have been and it's really interesting with this one with the threat being an ai i was 
very curious to see, since these are both the tech guys, how they were going to work yeah. around that. Yeah. And the resolution is literally Luther goes, I need to leave. Yeah. I'll see you in part two. Basically, yeah. That was weird. <laughs> very odd. It's like, wouldn't this be like the most exciting role for the two tech guys when there's like a rogue AI? It's like we could have done some cool stuff, I feel like. Yeah, this is a weird one. I'm not trying to be negative, but I mean, when it comes to the cast side, it's hard to pick someone. Everybody's like good, but kind of like Keith alluded to. I don't have any problems with the actors or actresses, but I do have a lot of issues with these characters and it makes me like not want to shout them out. It's like, I love Vanessa Kirby and everything, but am I really going to shout out White Widow after how good she was in Fallout and how like who cares she was in this movie? So I'll just go ahead and shout out Christopher McQuarrie, even though uh, in non-spoiler, I talked about how I think this is the first Mission Impossible that didn't up the ante over the previous one. Not that that's like a requirement for a good movie, but I... There was just a lot that I, I didn't think worked here. I still think his direction and his like writing contributions are incredibly sound. I love the way his Mission Impossible movies look. They're very sleek. They're very like fast paced, which I think is high praise even for a near like three hour movie. I agree with Keith. I would have like definitely liked to have shaved some of that off, but it's still like for a three hour movie, it kind of flew by. Uh, didn't feel that long. So he's just, I think, a really solid like action director. And I'm curious to see what he will do outside of this franchise because we know he's doing part two they've talked about doing more in the future but i'm curious what he'll uh do next that is not mission impossible related i like him a lot yeah and i knew this one was long going into it and i didn't feel the runtime at all so i think yeah. that's the highest praise i can give it just flew by for me for sure yeah i wouldn't say i felt the runtime i would say there was just some scenes that i thought were kind of unnecessary I where i yeah. was like this could have been probably 15 20 minutes shorter Probably the middle car chase is the only thing I could say where that felt super long. <laughs> there was like this like couple at like in the top corner of my theater that during the car chase, they were laughing hysterically. And I honestly couldn't blame them. It made me start to laugh because that chase is so <laughs> ridiculous. The fiance the one, scene was hilarious. Yeah. At the one point where they're like, like Haley Atwell is trying to drive, but she can't like turn. So she's just going in a circle. <laughs> like <laughs> this couple was just <laughs> laughing hysterically. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you know what we thought of the movie, and clearly you know what the couple in my theater thought of the movie, but what is everyone else saying? Like I said, I'm definitely in the minority on this one, because Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 received universal critical acclaim and currently has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. The site's critical consensus is, with world-threatening stakes and epic set pieces to match that massive title, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 proves this is still a franchise you should choose to accept. Wow. Yeah. I, I knew guess you could say they like did that. the impossible. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, this one cost upwards of $291 million to make, which makes it by far the most expensive movie in the franchise and one of the most expensive films of all time, which probably means it needs to make around $600 million just to break even. At the, at the point of recording, it has been out for less than a week and has already made $235 million. Um, but this is actually a lower opening than they expected in like, pretty much all territories. Um, but, you know, luckily for them, it hasn't quite been considered like a box office disappointment or anything. Definitely not a bomb, but just maybe a slight disappointment. They haven't like started calling it that yet because of the great word of mouth. And apparently the fact that Tom Cruise films traditionally, if you look back, they perform very well for multiple weeks in a row. So I don't think they're expecting a flash situation where like, you come around to the second weekend and it's dropped 70%. Tom Cruise movies tend to stay, you know, pretty good in the theaters for multiple weeks. So it sounds like this one is on track to do pretty well. Yeah, I feel like people for this one are just waiting to hear if it's good or not. 
and that word of mouth is going to get more people in theaters. I would be really curious to know what the original budget was for this movie because it was delayed so much during yeah. COVID. I know that caused it to balloon a little bit. So I wonder if it was like maybe originally around 200 million. And then with all the delays, it kind of ballooned closer to 300. Yeah, that's that's crazy. 290 million. I know. How much was Avatar? Uh, the last Avatar. That one was kind of in yeah, that ballpark too, right? Avatar Part 2 was 460 million for its budget. <laughs> Man. So quite a bit more, almost doubled, but it did make $2.32 billion at the box office. So James Cameron doesn't give a fuck about anyone that says, that's too much money, James. He's like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I've got six more coming, baby. <laughs> I got six more for you. Uh, all right, guys. Well, with that, it is time to go a little bit deeper. Let's get into our roundtable discussion here. This is the main part of our show where each of us brought a point or two that we really wanted to kind of hone in on and just break it all down. So where are we going to start today? Yeah, so rogue AI as our main threat uh, feels very timely today, at least to me it did, with the prevalence of new AI tools like ChatGPT. What were you guys' thoughts on this kind of main driving force for our big villain for this movie? I did like this, yeah, introduction to it. I guess for me, I just kind of got lost in like the communication aspect of it. And like, I wish we could have just seen more of its communication through Gabriel. You know, because there was points where like Gabriel was like, well, it, it said it said this and said that. It's like, well, I want to see it telling you this. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen how it recruited Gabriel. Like, that was the part I was a little unclear of because they say he's like a fanatic of the AI, but we never got to see like how he came to be or how they even came to interact. Or I, I was also very confused on how it escaped the submarine because they did imply that it was kind of stored there. At least that's what I got. Yeah. From the intro. They, they said something towards the end where they like flash back to the submarine. And I'll be honest. I did not follow what they were implying by the AI kind of going rogue and what that means. So I think they tried to explain it. I just didn't grasp it, unfortunately. Um, yeah, this one was kind of a like a diminishing return type thing for me because whenever they establish it, I, I don't know if they like ever showed this in the trailers. Like I had no idea. I knew Issa Morales was playing a villain, but I didn't realize going in that like actually kind of the main threat is this whole AI element. And I thought that was really cool in the beginning whenever they set that up because, like you said, it's like, you know, Ethan Hunt is a super spy. We've seen him, like, fight a bunch of dudes and people that, like, you're like, how the fuck is he going to beat Henry Cavill? I mean, look, I'm, I'm a short king. I'm 5'7". Like, <laughs> but you're telling me Tom Cruise is going to kill Henry Cavill? I don't know. <laughs> but, um, like, they find a way in those movies to, like, make that believable. But, um... Whenever you immediately go, oh, so Ethan can't like punch his way or fight his way or outsmart his way out of this one, right? Because it's a an AI situation. And like I said, I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. This is how you give Luther and Benji finally something interesting to do. I love those characters, but they're more like just fun characters. They're not like interesting. And I was like, that's how you get them involved. So as the movie went on, I started to like care less and less about it because they just didn't do too much interesting with it. I do completely agree with Austin that like, what an interesting premise, especially for our times today. So I love that aspect of it. I guess I just love the premise more than the actual. And they got so lucky uh, with it being delayed that yeah. like the AI is so prevalent now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but kind of like you guys said, I think some of the like other aspects of the movie that are negatives end up bringing that main element down. I think namely, like you said, the Gabriel element. It's like his involvement with it starts to make the whole AI thing less and less cool because a lot of this movie, unfortunately, I was like unpleasantly surprised is kind of just exposition dumps over and over again. It's a lot of characters just like sitting or like standing near each other and then just explaining things to each other. Like one of the worst, I think the two worst examples was Gabriel just 
telling like uh, Ethan and the team and White Widow, like what's going to happen at the party. And then the worst one that made me want to bash my head through the wall was Carrie Elwes's like big scene where they're just sitting across from each other on a train and he's just explaining what the AI is and where it is. I'm like, this isn't interesting. You're just telling us, like, show us kind of like, you know, show more execution and implementation like you guys. I would have loved to see a lot of that stuff. I wanted to see Gabriel's involvement with the AI. So I think some of those negatives and exposition, like as we went on, made me care less about kind of the rogue AI, which is unfortunate because, like I said at the start, that was such a cool thing because it's like, how the fuck is Ethan going to beat that? Like, I I never worry that he's not going to be able to, like, like lose in a fight. Like, he's always going to win somehow, but this is different. And so, yeah, by the end, I was a little disappointed. So I'm really hoping that in part two, they can resolve that in a good way. I think they can. Yeah, I'm with you. At the beginning, I was so excited about this. Um, I am going to reserve judgment a little bit to see what we get in part two. That's kind of the the hard part about it being a part one and part two. But where it stands today, by the end of the movie, I was like, well, I guess really Gabriel's the villain because the AI just they talk about it a lot, but you don't see it do that much other than shut down computers. But, you know, even though I'm being a little bit negative when it comes to the AI story, I think there was like some great moments um, like sprinkled in there. I just wish that there would have been more and some more creative stuff. I think this is a very creative franchise. I think I bet you guys probably agree that one of the best scenes was seeing how the AI was fucking with, um, I guess, technically both Ethan and Ilsa, like kind of like copying Benji's voice to guide them to a place that would ultimately lead to Ilsa's death. Um, that was like kind of harrowing, honestly. It's like, and you see Benji, you know, Simon Pegg is a great reaction to like, holy shit. I mean, what do I do? We, I, I can't do anything now. The AI is just going to guide them. And it's like, that leads to like a main character dying. And that was really scary. I would have liked more stuff like that. Cause unfortunately, like most of the movie, they just like keep saying how bad the AI is instead of showing it like that. Um, th- I mean that, you know, there still was great stuff like those scenes. The other creative thing I really liked in the beginning was that the entire, uh, covert agency is now hard coding all their documents because yeah. they need to shut everything down to keep the AI from getting in there. So moving from the story to the team that we've come to know and love throughout this franchise, particularly three onwards, I wanted to know, because I kind of gave my thoughts earlier, but what did you guys think of the utilization of the team this time? I know we kind of like joked that, yeah, couldn't Luther and Benji maybe played more into uh, <laughs> like the techie side of it with this one? But what'd you guys think? Because I mean, that's been like a huge thing, like a huge staple of this franchise. What you guys like and not like about how the team was used? The best usage of it, I thought, was at the airport. You kind of got the classic uh, them as the the people in the airpiece. So I, I enjoyed that. I did like that kind of nuclear bomb puzzle that the whole team has to solve together. That was um, cool. And then for an action side of things, I really enjoyed the opening with Rebecca Ferguson and Tom Cruise. I liked her sniping. I liked their little gun battle. The sandstorm element in there was really fun, too. So All of that I thought was great. I just think they all kind of get lost uh, in the second half of the movie. It really does just kind of become the Ethan Hunt and Grace show uh, for the back half of the film. Yeah, totally agree. That's kind of how I felt too. I love the Sandstorm stuff. I love Rebecca Ferguson. I I mean, what did you guys think about her dying? I mean, I know we we already yeah we already kind of touched on it, but I mean, I thought I really thought since Rogue Nation when she came in that she was going to be or at least last a little bit longer than this. I thought they would kill off Benji or Luther um, or somebody else before they kill off her. Benji and Luther just feel so duplicative of each other. And they even joke about it, about who can write yeah. the better code. Like, I've, I've never been clear about what the differentiation is in their roles, other than that Benji is more willing to go into the field than Luther is, it seems like. I think the thing with Rebecca Ferguson's death is it just didn't feel important to the story because it was, they literally say, pick one. And they're both like, 
a love interest for Ethan Hunt. And so it just felt like neither one of them were very necessary in that scene when it, it felt like either one of them could have died and then the other one would have played the same role in the second half of the movie. Yeah, it's like, and then why, and why like fake kill her off in, at the beginning just to kill her off for real? I think it would have been more impactful if the beginning death had been real because the whole opening, I was like, oh shit, they killed her off. Like that, that caught me more off guard than the second half of the film when they did it for real. Yeah, it's unfortunate whenever like something happens like in the world of a movie and it kind of takes you out because it's not done well. It just like takes you out to the point of wondering what happened behind the scenes. Like, Whenever, like, she actually dies, it sucks that my immediate thought was, oh, is Rebecca Ferguson, like, too busy? Did she have a scheduling conflict? And they just decided to, like, kill her off after having She's limited She's got to go film time. Silo. Yeah, that's exactly. That's kind of what I was thinking was it's like, is this, like, really what they wanted to do? Or did they have to do this because she's so busy now? Uh, and that's you don't want to be thinking that whenever, like a, like, a main character is, like, dying or something like that. But it was unfortunate. I thought, yeah, like, I won't talk too much about Luther and Benji at this point because uh, we already have. but. Like, even them didn't feel like they were super integral to the story for once, which was weird after they have been for so long. Uh, but yeah, Ilsa was the one that was tricky for me to stomach because it's like, on the one hand, I get it because in Rogue Nation and Fallout, they have set up like this like genuine connection between her and Ethan, uh, but which they don't really pay off very well, by the way. In Rogue Nation, when she's introduced, they, they just have like this like really nice flirtation. And in Fallout, it's like, oh, this is actually a thing. And then in this one, like, I think Fallout, like, ends with her, like, like him waking up in the hospital and her, like, holding him or something. Like, clearly it's like, oh, okay, they're together now. And then in this one, she, like, fake dies, they get back together, and then they hug in one scene and hold hands in the following scene. And that's how they reconcile. See, they were in love. <laughs> it's like, oh. <laughs> and then she just dies. And it's like, it's tough because you know that that would affect Ethan. But at the same time, like I said, it's like, I love Luther and Benji, but they're like comic relief and the tech friend character. They've never really done anything interesting with. They've done fun things with those characters, but Ilsa was an actual interesting character with an arc. And like, it was always exciting to see her. And then she's the one that dies, like the only interesting one. Like that kind of sucks. And then, like you said, it's like when you immediately follow up her death with like Tom Cruise, like smiling in the next scene, trying to recruit Haley Atwell. Now it feels like you're just trying to replace her. There, there was a definitely a more tactful way to handle that. Instead, it, it literally just feels like they were like, oh, Rebecca Ferguson's too busy. Let's cast Haley Atwell, kill the first one, and we'll put in the other lady. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's, it's like icky. That's not how you want to feel. Yeah, so that's exactly how it felt. It's like, let's sub in woman A for woman B, and <laughs> yeah. then we're good. Yeah. I also like, thought we were going to get a date scene when they both said, um, this is my first time in Venice. I thought we were yes. going to see them like out to yeah. dinner or something. That's what I mean. Like she hugs him in that scene and then immediately cuts them in a boat going to the party and like they hold hands briefly. And then she dies pretty soon after that. <laughs> <laughs> It's not Haley Atwell's fault that like the writers couldn't pull this off, so that it just kind of feels like replacing one for the other. But I thought she was great, and I've loved Haley Atwell and everything awesome. I've seen her in, and she's great in this movie. Like you know, she has second billing for a reason. She's over like you know, uh, Ving Rhames and Simon Pegg, and it, you you know you can see why in this movie she's like a mainstay. And I'm I'm already liking kind of like the Catwoman feel of the character, kind of that burglar that sometimes is gonna do some good, sometimes some bad, and. I like the idea of her joining the IMF and that's kind of how the movie ends with like her officially accepting. So I hope that, you know, they do more with that in the future, not just part two, but like having that character actually grow and be interesting, kind of like how they did with Rebecca Ferguson 
Um, so hopefully they can at least do better this time around. Well, I, I really liked her arc in this movie, not in the sense of she chose to join the IMF, but in the sense of when you meet her in the airport, this is a game. It's fun. It's exciting. There's spies involved. She thinks she's having fun. You can tell. And then by the end of the movie, I just like how progressively more and more scared she's getting as she's learning more about the situation she's got her wrapped up into. It felt very natural for someone who's not part of this world. And it took her a while to accept that now she is part of this. So I, I really liked that uh, usage of her character. Yeah, I love the uh, the trains. We'll talk more about it later, but I love the train scene when she's like scared to jump. <laughs> He's it's like a, a just a Monday for Ethan to just be hanging from a train that's dangling six hundred feet above the ground. But for her, it was like I can't move. I'm stunned. And Matt mentioned a little earlier about a lot of this movie is exposition, and I actually do think for a Mission Impossible movie, this one is the slower one of the bunch. Uh, there's not a ton of standout set pieces. The action we get, I think, it's really good. Um, my favorite thing about the train sequence is how slow it actually is, like going from car to car. And I think in another movie that would have just been a crazy crash and you would have seen them kind of go up and down and then maybe they'd be swimming in the stream a little, a little, a few minutes later. But I liked them climbing car to car, each car slowly, slowly falling one by one. I, that was my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, that was one of my favorite action sequences too. Uh, yeah, even on top of the train too, whenever like they're ducking for the tunnels or like the, the light beams and stuff like that. I even like the one of my favorite action scenes though was a quick probably one of the quickest ones and the darkest looking ones too. It was in the alley whenever the, he gets the two gates shut on him in the alley. He's got to fight simultaneously while they, it's like maybe a two foot wide alley. That was pretty brutal. Like he was like smashing their heads against the brick walls. Yeah, that one was good. Um, that Paris character I've seen this a lot online. She just felt like somebody straight out of John Wick. It felt like yeah. she could have been in that movie too. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's I, it's weird. Like, I guess maybe another issue I had was just pacing when it came to this movie. Like I said, it flew by for me, but it is weird that, like, the longest Mission Impossible movie is the one that feels like it has the least amount of action and, like, the least standout action. But I liked everything that was there. Um, the train sequence, of course, you know, it was a lot of fun, felt super uncharted, especially at the end whenever it starts, like, crashing and falling apart and watching these characters try and get through it was super fun. Um I have seen, I guess you mentioned it, Austin, I have seen some people criticize that, like, weird fiat car chase scene for being maybe too goofy or whatever. I actually enjoyed that one quite a bit. I thought that one was fun. I like the creativity of having them be handcuffed and still trying to yeah. drive this. I uh, really enjoyed it. I just, yeah. that's the only part of the movie where I was like, man, this has been going on it for, was like, a lot. it, it felt like long. 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, but I still thoroughly enjoyed it. We got some, like, funny moments sprinkled in there, too, just based on the scenario itself. Um but yeah, I don't know. I guess like other than those, I don't really have much to talk about. I agree with you, Keith. I enjoyed that alley fight scene. Like that was some fun stakes of like, you know, you have two people coming at you and you can't really move or turn around. So like you have to jump over one of them or something. So I guess that's kind of it. I, I can't really think of any other action, at least in like the traditional sense. We got some good tension like we talked about with Benji having to disarm the bomb in the airport. Like that was like good tension. I don't know if I would call that action, but you know. There was still like some good stuff sprinkled in there, but definitely I think the car chase and the train are, you know, what this movie is going to be remembered for. Um, like Austin said at the beginning, I think, you know, like four is Burj Khalifa, five plane, six helicopter. This one will be train. <laughs> and so that's cool. <laughs> so, you know, we'll see what part two is. But yeah, I enjoyed the action. Just I'm surprised there wasn't more of it. Not that that's like 
the criticism because I think this one was definitely more spy focused like the original. Do you think it's worth comparing this franchise to John Wick? Because the most recent John Wick is the longest one of, of that franchise and it's nonstop action. I mean, you, you really get what you're paying for there. I think there were some scenes like the club scene in this one where I think they really want to be John Wick and they haven't figured out the right formula to work that into a, a Mission Impossible movie yet. Well, like, yeah, like you said, like some of the biggest stuff that stands out with the action is something that involves a, a car, a plane, a building, you know, there's always some big piece in it. But I mean, some of my favorite scenes, though, are some of the smaller ones. Like if you think about Fallout, like that bathroom fight scene with him and Henry Cavill so and the so other good. and the other guy, that scene was incredible. They're just bashing their heads against the sinks and the toilets and everything like that. Um, that looked really cool. And that was kind of John Wick worthy. But they just need more of that. I think I think Tom Cruise and whatever character he's with, they always had the coolest hand-to-hand combat scenes. And we get a little bit, like I said, the one in the alley. And we also get one with Rebecca Ferguson on the bridge with uh, K- Gabriel with the knife scene. But I guess to answer your question, yeah, I don't know. As far as John Wick, John Wick just has more hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I guess when it comes to like, hand-to-hand stuff and like gunplay, I think John Wick is doing a lot more interesting stuff, choreography and like camera-wise. So... I guess, I mean, there's definitely stuff to compare. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, you know, McQuarrie and the team, like, watch, like, the more recent John Wick movies and try to incorporate, like, some elements in this one. But it's hard to replicate. I mean, Keanu's a tough guy to follow. Uh, Tom Cruise is doing his best, but he is, like, 60 years old. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I think also when it comes to the action, I think one of the detracting elements is, like I said, I mean, this one doesn't really up the ante. I think one of the reasons maybe we're struggling to remember, like, a lot of the other action sequences is, like, I just don't know if they do anything better than they've done in the past. It's like, yeah, that that fight scene on the bridge with uh, Ilsa and Gabriel, the fight scene in the alley was cool. But it's like, does does it beat any of the hand to hand stuff that we've seen in the recent movies with like the bathroom scene you talked about in the last one, Keith, or other stuff? It's like, that's not a bad thing. It's just that I think maybe now that we're seven movies in, some of the action is starting to feel more familiar as opposed to like creative, interesting or new. Um, So it's not like a terrible thing or critique it's just that you know i guess that's just what happens whenever you get this movies into a franchise yeah it almost sounds like we need another ghost protocol style uh maybe reboot or refresh for this franchise um because we like we've touched on this is uh the first part one with a direct sequel so we are going straight into part two um are you i mean i know matt maybe you're not as high as you were heading into the movie but what are you guys excited for when we actually do get to see part two and i think it's next year that's the plan. We'll see what happens because of the writers and now the actors strike. I wouldn't be surprised if they have to stop filming or whatever it may be. But as of now, the plan is for next June to have this one come out. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm definitely like less excited about it now, but there still is a lot of exciting stuff I want to see. I want to see kind of the villain shift from Gabriel to like full on the AI because it's infinitely more interesting to have to watch Ethan Hunt like try and dismantle this crazy AI than it is to watch him have another like fist or knife fight with Gabriel. And I know Gabriel is kind of like the voice, so to speak, of the AI, but I just want to see how Ethan actually beats an AI. So I'm curious for that resolution. Um, I'm very interested in how Kitrich is going to play into that because he's definitely more villainous here than he was in the original Mission Impossible. I didn't really back that up or explain it. I understand why somebody would want this power, but I think maybe they went a bit too far. So I'm curious what his role is going to be, especially when... He's doing villainous stuff, and then the movie ends with his, like, monologue about, you didn't stop me, Ethan, but you bought her some time. But then it also, like, in, like the next sentence, he's like, good luck on your mission, Ethan. It's like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I was I'm... confused about, yeah, his motivation. Yeah. I, I understand that he 
is doing this for the U.S. government and thinks the U.S. government should have it. But then even his own agents are like, why are you here? Why are you on this train? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't even talk about that. What the fuck was with Shea Wiggum as the agent chasing him? Like they set it up that like he has some personal vendetta against Ethan. They never explain and that. And then they never explain it. It just He also says like... they've never met him though either. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't, I didn't get that, but I guess we're going to have to see more of that. It also felt like they were setting up Shea Wiggum's partner to like maybe join the IMF in the future. I don't know. Uh, to finish my thought on like what I'm looking forward to. Um, I just really have my fingers crossed that Luther and Benji, now that like there really are two legacy characters, now that um, Ilsa's presumably gone going forward, I don't think they're going to pull like a, at least as of now, I don't think they're going to pull like some crazy twist where somehow she's alive. We'll see, I guess. But um, I hope that they're given something actually interesting to do. We kind of said in this one, why aren't they more involved in like a techie AI focused story? Maybe that's actually planned to pay off in part two where they will have to. We like you said, Austin, and joked like, Luther does exit this movie in a very weird way. So hopefully he's doing something interesting while he's gone. And then the last thing, of course, is having the movie, one of the ending things being Grace. Um, I Like like you said, Austin, too, I, I really did enjoy her arc quite a bit in this movie, kind of turning that guilt from Ilsa's death into a reason to maybe fight for this IMF cause. It's, it's really cool. And like watching her accept that at the end, I am curious what her role looks like in the next one, because it's got to be if she's as big of a role in this one, then I think in part two, she will be as well. So I guess the thing I'm most like curious about is, you know, what the character roles are going to be in a part two, because we've never gotten that in the Mission Impossible, you know, franchise up until this point. Yeah, we better see Luther locked in an air gap room with just a case of Red Bull pounding out that code, because that's <laughs> what he said he's doing. Um yeah, for me with part two, I'm most interested to better understand Gabriel and the AI's relationship. I hope they flesh that out more. Um, I also hope we somehow get a scene of the AI and, and Tom Cruise like interacting, whether it's through text or, or something like that. I just I want to see the AI kind of explain itself, and I don't want Gabriel to do it for the AI because nobody understands. Even the government say they don't know what the AI wants yet, but they're just scared of the possibility about it coming back um, into their systems and things like that. So that's what I'm looking for in part two. And then I'll also be curious to see whatever the, the next big stunt is that they've filmed to outdo yeah. the stunts in this movie. Because I don't think we've heard about it. And like they would presumably be almost done filming if they were originally planning on it coming out in a year. So, yeah, what's the big stunt? Because we heard about the motorcycle off the cliff for so long and the train. So what's this one? At some point, you got to pull a Fast and Furious and get Tom Cruise in space, right? Oh, man. Yeah, AI send him to space. Somehow he goes into oh, a Oh, I rocket. guess they'll probably <laughs> do another underwater thing like Rogue Nation with a submarine. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm really hoping for. They that they do a actual Benji and Luther planned type heist where Ethan has to go in a submarine or something like that and dive and somehow get into the submarine. So let's talk about the future of this franchise, kind of beyond just part two. Um, Tom Cruise has said, just like Harrison Ford, he wants to still be making Mission Impossible movies in his 80s. Where would you like to see the future of this franchise go? I do hope we get more clarification and build up with the IMF like over the past few movies the IMF keeps getting disbanded and then and then reconstructed and then they're sometimes they're affiliated with the CIA sometimes they're not affiliated with the CIA somebody there's a director over them and sometimes the director is fighting with them sometimes the director is on their side even in this movie Benji jokes we've gone rogue before we've even started yeah and so yeah they're always going rogue it's like no I want to see like the old school Mission Impossible where they're not rogue they're actually just doing what the IMF is telling them like I the IMF is giving the missions and they're doing the missions instead of like the whole rogue thing. Um, so I'd like to see that as far as the IMF goes. But as far as Tom Cruise, yeah, just I guess keep on pumping out the stunts, Tommy. 
I don't know. I mean, there are some franchises that just work for this many entries, but when you think about Bond, a reason why that can go for like 25 plus movies is because they're changing up actors. Whenever they do that, it kind of changes the tone of the stories they're telling. It changes the vibe. You know, whenever you're going from Brosnan to Craig, you're getting a lot more gritty and violent and like down to earth. So it feels kind of fresh and new. Mission Impossible, I think you could argue that three did a great job of like kind of correcting the issues of two and that felt like, okay, this is a good spot to be. And then four did the same thing. But we haven't really had any change in terms of like tone, story, vibe since four. And now we're going into eight. So it's like, I don't know if this franchise is super conducive for going that many years and that many entries. Like like, like we kind of said, when it comes to the action, it's already feeling kind of samey. It's kind of hard to make it feel new and fresh when you're this many entries in. Like, what are you going to be doing with 11 or 12? And I know we joke about Fast and Furious. I think that gets a pass because it is dumb fun. Like, I don't think about that shit with Fast and Furious, but this I do. So it's like, I don't know. I mean, how many like grand stunts can you do? Like, how can you change up the formula? I don't know. They've kind of locked into Christopher McQuarrie and he's kind of brought the same thing for the last few movies. And for the most part, I love what he's brought, but I don't know how kind of new and fresh this franchise can be like that many years down the line. I hope to be proven wrong, but as of now, I'm not feeling super hopeful for that. Something fresh I'd like to see, and Kit Ridge actually brings it up in the movie, that the next global conflict is going to be over our dwindling resources. Mm. I would kind of like to see a Mission Impossible movie set in an actual conflict and see the team like embedded on the ground having to do some crazy mission like in a war zone. I, I think that would be new. It would be fresh. It would kind of bring back those spy roots. I'd be really yeah. interested to see that sort of story. It's just hard to know if that's realistic because we don't really know how the IMF works seven movies in. <laughs> it's like, do they do that kind of thing? I don't know. <laughs> but that would be really awesome. That, that would be like kind of the, I think, the change that like this franchise could use. I'd like to see a clearly defined job description between Benji and Luther to see who actually does what on this team. One of them needs to be given the reins over that. Uh, and then one of them can maybe shift to another role. <laughs> a lateral move. <laughs> All right. With that, before we officially close out here, let's do some Arnie's Podcast Awards. This is the part of our show where we close out by giving an award to something positive, negative, or something in between of from the thing that we just talked about, in this case, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. So, Austin or Keith, who's going to start me off? What do you think deserves an award today? Yeah, actually, uh, I will not be giving an award to the Mission Impossible movie that we just saw. I will instead be giving it to a trailer I saw beforehand. Oh. I'm going to give the needs Keanu award uh, to the newest Expendables movie because I had that trailer. It looks awful. And the wow. whole time I was thinking, why is 50 Cent in this movie and not Keanu Reeves? <laughs> <laughs> I thought the whole pitch for this franchise was it's our biggest action stars. Where are the action stars? 50 Cent's not an action star. What? How dare you? <laughs> He's dude, my favorite action Den of star. Thieves, dude. Den of Thieves. <laughs> was he in that? Yeah. He was oh, one shit. of the main characters in Den of Thieves. Well, nobody knows he's an action star because nobody saw that movie. Oh, dude. I, I did. I love Den of Thieves. <laughs> I forgot about it, though. <laughs> I forgot he was in it. <laughs> and our boy Jerry Butler's in that movie, too. Jerry? Is that what his <laughs> friends call him? Um, I think in the same vein, then, I have to give an award to a trailer I saw. And I'm going to say, I don't know what I would call this one. I mean, Mission Impossible, as we know, is now seven movies in. So I'm going to give the award for a franchise that I think should also go seven movies. I haven't even seen the first one, but guys, we saw the trailer for, speaking of Expendables, the Meg 2, the trench. Are you excited? Oh, for, I saw that too. Are you excited for the Meg 7? 
another Jason Statham movie. I that know. guy's on a tear this year. Yeah, <laughs> Look at him. Expendables 4 and The Meg 2. <laughs> you know, since we're on the, the theme of trailers, I saw a trailer. I've seen it twice already. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna give the uh the most possible worst horror movie of the year award. And that goes to A Haunting in Venice. I don't know if y'all saw the trailer for A Haunting in Venice. Oh, but- I have- <laughs> I have not seen this trailer. I don't know what that is. I thought you were going to say Haunted Mansion. No. No, I'm, I, I would be really excited for that. No. A Haunting in Venice <laughs> does not look good. Oh, no. <laughs> at all. Dang. Sounds like we all saw some great trailers. A Haunting in Venice, <laughs> The Meg 2, and Expendables 4. Wow. <laughs> what a lineup to build you up to see the next mission. A Haunting in Venice, film. though, it's just, it's just Ethan and uh, Rebecca Ferguson. <laughs> oh, yeah. He literally had a Haunting in Venice because he wanted to go on a date with his girlfriend, but then she died. <laughs> yeah. You guys remember how excited the three of us were for the first Expendables? Oh, heck yeah. Maybe I should rewatch that because I remember that movie being pretty good. (laughs) You'll be happy to know that there is a small penis joke about Jason Statham in The Expendables 4. Holy shit. I'll be there opening weekend then. I don't know if it's already come out, but maybe I missed my chance. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, everybody, uh, thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we would appreciate that to continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever your podcasts really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and TheArnie's.media is the website. We'll be back next Tuesday for Matt's solo review of The Expendables 4. I mean, uh, for our review of Oppenheimer. (laughs) Hopefully, Christopher Nolan turns out something great because Austin and Keith, as you guys know, I've been really disappointed in his films over the last decade. I haven't loved a Chris Nolan movie since Inception. I was 2010. Dark Knight Rises, big nope. Interstellar, I'm not the biggest fan. Dunkirk, no thank you. And Tenet was like a literal dumpster fire. Uh, A good looking one, but bad. Uh, So I think this one will be good. I'm excited. I've been hearing good things. I'm also going to try and see Barbie next weekend. So it is certainly a good time for movies. I want to know, are you guys excited for this? Do you think Oppenheimer is going to be a hit? I'm excited. I, the early reports are people are like leaving the theaters weeping. I also read another article that they didn't use any CGI in this movie. So I'm excited to see how that works out with this being about the nuclear bomb. Um, I'm planning to do the thing trending on social media where you have a perfect day at the movies and you see Oppenheimer in the morning and then you see Barbie in the evening. So maybe we'll have to do a, a double feature on the podcast next week. Yeah, but I'm excited for Oppenheimer too. I think this might be one of Nolan's best ones to come out yet. I have high hopes. All right, lastly, we want to hear from you guys, so please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. What did you think of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1? Will Tom Cruise eventually die doing one of his own stunts? Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live in our latest episode. All right, everybody. So with that, we'll see you next time. Should be a great episode next week. We hope you enjoyed this one. We hope you enjoyed Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. See you next time. Have a great rest of your week. See you, everybody. See you. Somebody please make it clear for Luther or Benji whose job is whose. <laughs> <laughs>